The following message is from King's Cross Church in Manchester, New Hampshire. For more information, please visit us at kingscrossmanchester.com. So if you have a Bible, we'll look at Matthew chapter 9. I'm going to pray one more time. Uh, O King of Glory, who we've sung to this evening, um, you are our hope, you are our life, you are are our mission. This is why we're here. Help us this evening to... um, to, uh, Embrace and absorb the, the Word of God and what you're saying to your church. Pray, Lord Jesus, that we would um, be inspired by what you say and what's in the book. And I pray that our hearts would be stirred with greater passion for your church, this church and other churches you want to plant. Uh, Lord, we pray that we our hearts of, of devotion would just increase, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. So, uh, I want to start with a when we planted River of Grace almost 14 years ago, there was a visual picture that st- struck me as very pertinent to understanding the church. My dad was a pastor. I grew up here in New Hampshire in a pastor's old Baptist church and, and uh, didn't really grasp all that Jesus was doing in this church. Um, and then I was on staff at a mega church after being here in New Hampshire for a while. And you kind of get caught up in church life. And church can actually be, and, and the picture I want to use is two pictures of a boat, one being a cruise ship and the other being a Coast Guard cutter. Um, my wife and I this summer were on a sabbatical after 28 years of ministry. We scored big with the Kingdom Lotto and won a uh, grant to go on a uh, sabbatical. I mean, we were going to take the 13-week sabbatical, but then we, lot of, we got a bunch of money to actually, we traveled from Israel to uh, England over the course of two months to travel through spots of church history, and that was just an incredible privilege and joy. Um, but one of the, one of the weeks we 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 went to Athens and Corinth, and we got on a cruise ship, and we had to put that in there, right? And uh, to justify it, the cruise ship stopped in Rhodes, an island where Paul mentions, and then stopped in Ephesus, which. Paul did a lot there, and then ended up in Istanbul, which actually has one of the largest church buildings in church history, still exists from the 500 AD, Hagia Sophia. Uh, that, I, I was, my, my expectation on the cruise was really low. I just thought, you know, it was all about the buffet. It's a lot about the buffet, but it was really, really, really nice. And if we never take one again, that's okay, but it was really quite nice. And uh, um, the, the, the mission of a cruise ship is the comfort of the passengers. Nothing else. The comfort of the passengers. And it was very comfortable. Well, unfortunately, in the last 50 years, the church has started, has, has fallen into this idea that the church exists for the comfort of the passengers. On our trip to paradise, it's all about how comfortable is it. That's not the church at all. With a lot of the same structures, like places to sleep, birthing room, I'm not birthing rooms, that's for birthing. I say dumb things all the time. I mean, births to sleep in, and, 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 and the canteen to eat. The church is really, with the same structures and function, with worship and, and edification and discipleship, is really more about being like a Coast Guard cutter, whose mission is to rescue people who are drowning and make them into crew members. 
huge difference when it comes to thinking about the church. Well, keep that in mind as we think about, um, about the church. I saw this uh, statement, I, I just, I fell in love with it, and, and so it says this, church is not a location with an address, it is a family with a mission. Church is not a location with an address, it is a family with a mission. Now what we're going to end up doing is spending time this evening talking about what does it mean to be everyday missionaries and then conclude with well, what does that mean as a mission of the church in extending ourselves to places that don't have um, or that need more gospel witness. And you guys know the statistics of New Hampshire, least church, you know, state in the union and all that stuff. But if you can think about this, and, and I'll just park the church planting piece on the side for a moment. Every time a, church, a healthy gospel-centered church is planted, it opens up the door to the gospel to a, a, a dark world in one more place with, with a group of more people. And so if you keep that in mind, want to look at the text. Our text this evening is Matthew chapter 9, verses 9 through 13. As we talk about what does it mean to be everyday missionaries and on this mission together as the church. As Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man called Matthew sitting at a tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And he rose and followed him. In, verse, I'm in Matthew chapter 9, now verse 10. And as Jesus reclined at the table in the house, behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, Why does your teacher eat with the tax collectors and sinners? And when he heard it, he said, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick, uh, but those who are sick, go and learn what this means. Okay, that's, that's a, keep that, go and learn what this means. And then this statement he makes, I desire mercy and not sacrifice. And then this last line, for I came not to call the righteous, but the sinners. As we think about what does it mean to be on mission, be everyday missionaries, um, and, and care for those in our circle of care, and, and I'm going to use that term later on, but the circle of care that God has put us in, and then beyond, um, as we think about that, we have to think about it both personally and as a family. Now, when we use the term missionary, we use that as a technical term to refer to um, men and women who devote their professional hours to the mission, usually, almost exclusively, across culture. In other words, they, they are our superheroes. They leave the comforts of their culture to go to another culture and it inc includes incredible sacrifice. Later this summer, I don't know, 15 or 20 of us from our church are going down to Mexico where one of the missionaries we support teaches in a seminary. His wife works in an orphanage. And, and uh, Kevin actually grew up right here in New Hampshire, um, the guy we're going to be visiting. And, and he is, he is he's one of these like superhero Christians, right? He gives up the comforts of New Hampshire. Another guy for, that we support, Tom from Epsom, New Hampshire, He's for the last, oh, I want to say, 25, 30 years has been, he was going to be a, his, his goal in high school was to be a doctor, and then he came to Jesus, and then Jesus says, you're not just coming to Jesus, I'm going to make you a, 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 a missionary. So he and his wife, Sue, have been in the Philippines serving Jesus. Another couple we support. So they leave in the next, hopefully by the end of this month with their four children, to China, uh, where they're going to start 
micro businesses to actually help bless people in an unreached people group um, uh, and, 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 and by doing so embody the gospel and ideally uh, help flourish the family of God. I, I mention all those. Actually, a guy from New Hampshire I went to high school with, his name's Carl, he works for uh, Wycliffe Bible Translators. He works in the avionics, actually, um, department. He's spending well, next, he's been in Indonesia, still there, for five weeks installing avionic um, uh, stuff so their planes and stuff can, I guess, navigate better. Um, I'm not quite sure. Oh, and he does a lot of these satellite upfeeds so that translators don't have to, uh, they, can, they can do immediate interaction with with linguistic people back here in the States. I mention all that because these are, these are like superhero Christians, right? They have like the cape and the, I mean, they, they, they leave, their grandparents miss the kids' birthday parties, not because they are li- their grandparents are living in Florida, but because uh, another couple we support live in southern Mozambique, reaching a, a Muslim um, uh, tribe, and the imams actually come to Jesus, still an imam coming to Jesus. It's kind of weird uh, how that all happens. But, but these are people who, who risk a lot more. But we are all called to the everyday mission. And though there are superheroes, we're all called to this. And everyday, the everyday mission requires all of us to kind of own the fact that we have been assigned to a people group that speak our language, that live in our sphere of influence or circle of cares, I want to at least frame it tonight. And, and we have to figure this out. So from the text, here's the first thought that's come to mind to me. To, to be an everyday missionary, it's an education by immersion. Okay? It says, it, it, Jesus says to his disciples in this, this setting, he says, go and learn, or actually saying to the Pharisees, go and learn what this means. In other words, immerse yourself in what I am talking about here. So here's Jesus reclining at a table in a house with, you know, you might know the story, many tax collectors and sinners. They're reclining and eating with Jesus and enjoying this. And Jesus is saying to those who are criticizing him, he says, go and immerse yourself in a community and, and understand what I mean that I am here for the sick and for those who aren't in the back to the Coast Guard cutter analogy, those who are not on the ship yet, those who are, who are drowning. Now think about where Jesus is coming from. It's hard for me to communicate or even understand the Son of God who's given up divine rights, even though they're all still there. He's given up divine rights to be man, and so he grows in wisdom and stature with God and man, that, that whole thing that Jesus grows up. But he grew up as a carpenter. Guess who he's a missionary to right now? Tax collectors. <laughs> he's, he's speaking a whole different language, you know. He used to have a, a tool belt, and, you know, he, he had, he had uh, calluses on his hands from carpentry and stuff like that. But he's, he's talking to these kind of wealthy, um, um, white-collar federal government workers. <laughs> I can say that. I got two brother-in-laws who are federal government workers, so I can make fun of them all I want and be feel, feel very safe. Um, I'm saying that because Jesus here himself has immersed himself in another community. I think what Jesus is saying in part of this, now this, this line, go and learn when I'm immerse yourself in this, he's also going to be referring to this line coming up. Um, it's, you know, I want you to mercy. I, I, I desire mercy. But Jesus is clearly learning what does it mean to care 
about tax collectors in Capernaum. A little bit of my story, um, I grew up in a, I mentioned my dad was a pastor. I, went, I graduated from a Christian school. I went to a Christian college. I got called to a Christian profession, went to a Christian graduate school. You know, I had pretty much grown up in the Christian bubble. And probably seven, eight years ago, it struck me as we had moved back to New Hampshire that I just don't know a lot of unbelievers who don't know Jesus in a very intimate way. I'm not very... So my wife and I, we joined our local book club in our little town of Chichester. And it has been the most awesome immersion in the, in, in, in the, in the community of these people who become our dear friends. And um, there's about 17 of us. And here's what you, I discovered in a book club. You read some of the most weird books in the world, but in every book we read, there's a place uh, that, 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 that springboards to, 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 to the gospel, to Jesus. I to, one time we were reading this weird mystical fantasy, something weird, and I, they, they get around to me and say, so Dave, where do you see God in this? And I, I honestly, it was just a weird book. I threw up my hands and said, I did not see much here. <laughs> and one of my... Friends, Linda, who's, who's, who's a devout atheist, um, she said, David, they were eating fish and drinking wine. Didn't you see communion in there? And I go, oh, you know, I'm saying that because for me, this has been a, a long process of, be, of becoming friends with people who are far from being, you know, an evangelical church kid like me. I also joined, um, became a chaplain at a trucking company and just recently resigned from that after seven and a half years. But every Wednesday night at about nine o'clock, I'd go into this trucking company in Kentucky and for an hour and a half, wander the floor. Uh, it's a long story. They have a paid position through an organization that it's a benefit to, to employees that they have someone who's not on staff with the company that they can talk to about anything. So anyway, in that setting, I got to fall in love with a bunch of people and even though now I left, I, now I still go in, I, the, 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 the plant manager in the evening, dear friend of mine, um, he said, come in any time. So after leaving in January, about a month after I left, I snuck back in on a Wednesday night. And, you know, it, it, to, to be around these people and, 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 and love them and care about them and, and interweave the gospel into conversations, I'm sharing that because it's been an immersion for me. And when Jesus says, go and learn, you, you and I have to go and learn. What does it mean to be on mission where we are, where we work, in the neighborhood we're in? What, is it, what does that look like? This whole idea of learning is, is, um, is just a necessary journey for all of us. Because just as Jesus kind of, I think, learned what it meant to fall in love and reach out to tax collectors, because he was from Nazareth, which was a far cry from, from Capernaum. There's a, uh, one of our elders, Jan, and his wife, Annika, they're from Holland, so they have funny names. Um, about eight or nine years ago, they did this very thing. They quit coming to so many church events. I mean, not church and uh, that, but I just, they said, we're going, we, we spend all our time. So they joined the Dunbarton Garden Club. That's where they live. Jan doesn't even like flowers. And there's about 50 people in this. And through that, through years of love and invitation, and they, they figured out Jan was a Christian guy, so he got to do the opening prayer at different events. And he kept inviting them to Christmas Eve and, and Easter. And, and um, through that, 
this couple who are double income, no kids, started coming to a Bible study and Larry and Judy, about three years ago, I got to baptize both of them in their late 50s because Jan and Annika went and learned what it meant to immerse themselves in a community, the Dunbarton Garden Club, as, as on mission for Jesus. Francis Chan, um, you might know his name, um, his book, Crazy Love, Forgotten God, and, and such, he talked recently, or, or he talked about going to China to learn from Christian, Christian Chinese pastors. And um, there was one pastor who had been a pastor of an underground church network, and they went public with this, they decided to go public with their church and then face some, some um, pressure, pressure from the government. So they went back underground. But as Francis Chan was um, interviewing this pastor in China, he asked him, so what are your core values in your church here since you've gone through this underground church to public church, back to underground church? He says, well, desperate prayer, devotion to learning the Bible, expecting God to do miracles, joyfully embracing suffering, and everybody's a missionary. I think we have to, if we're going to call ourselves Christians, I believe every disciple is a missionary. We have our superhero missionaries. I mentioned a bunch of them. They're superheroes. We should pray for them, support them, uh, honor them. They will be honored in eternity. But we are all called to the mission. And, and as Jesus said here, go and learn what this means. Go and learn what this means for where you live, for your family. Identify a people group, a garden club, a book club. Just find some group to dive into and fall in love with. You may already be in that. It may be self-identified or not. The second line here is Jesus said, so I, uh, go and learn what this means. And then he makes this statement, I desire mercy and not sacrifice. An everyday missionary has an ethic of compassion. He says, I desire mercy. This compassion to consider where the other is. Think about who is Jesus training here? He's training Matthew. He's just called Matthew a tax collector, a customs agent. Um, I, I, by the way, I put the picture of Capernaum up there because uh, on our sabbatical we had to spend our first week overseas in Israel. So we went to Capernaum and, and uh, it's, 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 this is just a, about a, probably a tenth of the city that's been unearthed. And um, that white, the largest white building there is, this was to me the most sort of like mystical moment of the trip uh, because it's not known where, I mean, Nazareth is there, it's a city, we get it, but where Jesus was born, you know, that's, they got the church of the nativity there, but that's, well, that's in Bethlehem, no, they got, I'm sorry, they got the, they got the church of the, whole, in the Annunciation, they got Joseph's, the church built over Joseph's carpentry shop, so are they accurate? Don't know. You know, you go to Jerusalem and there's the church of, uh, or Bethlehem, we went to Bethlehem, the church of the um, nativity and you know, all, all these Orthodox Christians and Catholic Christians um, and evangelicals too and just regular tourists. So you, you, you cattle shooted down into this cave and there's this hole with this sort of, I don't know, ornate, marble thing over it and you reach down and supposedly you're not touching a snake. No, supposedly you're touching the stone that Jesus was born on. 
don't know. Don't know. But here, that white building is the, is the foundation of the synagogue in Capernaum where Jesus did a lot of his teachings. So everything else in Israel for me was a little fuzzy. Even, even the tomb, because there's two disputed places, and the, the tomb in the garden, the, the, the Christian group that actually owns it are humble enough to say, we think this is it, but we could be wrong. And so they, we're not sure this is the tomb, but we think it is. But that is where Jesus did a lot of his teaching. Okay? That's where the story is set, right in this town. And, and Jesus is saying, um, I desire mercy. And the reason I think it's important we think about where this happens with Levi at his home, a tax collector, think about the lo location. Capernaum is on the north, northern shore of the Sea of Galilee. So this is the Sea of Galilee. You're looking south there. It's no man's land. I mean, there's this city there, and the reason it's there is because it's about four miles off of this major thoroughfare uh, from, oh, from, from, wait a minute, I wrote it in my notes here somewhere. Um, oh yeah, from, from Damascus, Syria, there's a major thoroughfare called the Way of the Sea that goes about four miles north of here, all the way down to Egypt. So there's this Roman highway, and um, this city, Capernaum, is, is off that highway. It's, it's, it actually got kind of large, up to about 1,500 people. But what struck me about being there also is the Sea of Galilee is about 600 feet below sea level. Jesus grew up in Nazareth, which is about 800 feet above sea level. So, so just a trip down from, and we did this in one day, we stopped through Canaan where they, Jesus made water into wine. I bought some of it. and It's really sweet. Don't know if it was the leftovers, but it was, it was good. But so just this whole idea of traveling down to this lowly, dry, obscure place is, is to me a marker that here is the Son of God, the eternal Son of God, for whom all the galaxies were made to just point to the greatness of Jesus. He decides to do his primary teaching and ministry in this obscure, lowly place. Which says to me, Jesus is a God of mercy who will go to the lowest obscure places for people who are lost. You see the visual there? That whether you're feeling low and obscure, that Jesus specializes in that. And that you and I are called to the lowly and obscure, like Manchester, New Hampshire. <laughs> it's lowly and obscure, right? I mean, it's just, it's just a little town in a little state. That's a path, you know, a drive-through place for tourists going to the North Country. This is where Jesus wants us to, he desires mercy here. He desires compassion Remember, the, the Pharisees, the, Jesus is having this conversation because why does your teacher eat with the tax collectors and sinners? This is a human prejudice that, that the majority are wired to take sides against the minority. It's just that's the dark side of humanity. Our side is better, we're pure, we're truer, we're smarter. If you're for Bernie, you're better than the guys for Hillary. If you're for Trump, you're better than the guys for Cruz. If you're Rubio, you're better than the guys that are for Kasich. I mean, you see it in politics. You see it in, you just see it. Your, your, your side is better. That rich are better than the poor. No, the poor rage against the rich. The white collar versus the red deck. The blue collar versus the white collar. Us and them. It's easy to become religious, religiously prejudiced too. 
except we're the insiders and they're the outsiders. Jesus says, no, I desire that you, I desire mercy. I don't, sacrifice isn't, I desire mercy. Jesus did not come to institute religious services, but extend God's mercy. Now, worship services are essential to the witness of, of Jesus and the building up of the saints. There's, there's a holy communion that happens around the table and around the word and around prayer. This is essential, but this is not what Jesus came to establish um, singly. He came to extend mercy. This ethic of compassion sees people as Jesus does, lost without a shepherd. Think of these, lost without a shepherd. Here talks about sick without a physician. And that our task is to extend the mercy that God has so shown us. Think of this passage. Because of God's great love, because of his great, rich mercy, he made us alive with Christ even when we are dead in our transgressions. And this is where, we're, 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 where the motivation of the gospel stirs us. Ephesians chapter 2 verses 4 through 5. This mercy that has found us dead has made us alive. This mercy which has now awoken us to our inheritance that's in Christ. All that is in Christ is ours. Do not fear, little flock. It is your Father's intention to give you His kingdom. All of that has been awoken in us because of His mercy. He's come to us. And our task is to extend that mercy. One last thought from this is, is that everyday missionaries give an invitation. And this is, this is an invitation to conversion. It's, it's what Jesus said here. For I came not to call the righteous but sinners to repentance. This account that we're reading tonight appears in Mark chapter 2 and also in Luke chapter 5. But here... Matthew adds the line to he calls to repentance. Yeah, go to the next one there, Drew. For I came not to call the righteous but sinners to repentance. We are constantly calling people to this conversion. I call you as brothers and sisters, as friends, continually turn to Christ. Our righteousness is not because we're in a church pew this evening or because we cleaned up some marginal areas of our moral lives. Our righteousness is because of what Christ has accomplished on the cross. His death has, has paid for the guilt that we have given Him and He has given us His righteousness so that we can boldly approach the throne of our Father because our sins are fully removed in Christ. And so... We are constantly calling people to this act, to this truth of turning to God for His mercy and His forgiveness. I was sitting in a barber shop not too long ago. I have some of the most, just most interesting conversations in, with the barbers. And I go to this barber that's been around since 1909 on Main Street, right across from Barley House in Concord, down in the basement. And it's just this over, it's just a bunch of young barbers down there. And one barber one day said, um, 
he was, he was kind of nervous. I was kind of nervous because he was new. And, and so he's asking me, he says, so what do you do? Are you retired? <laughs> That's the same day my wife is down at Market Basket buying groceries. You have to pick up like Schmirnoffs or something and she gets carted because she looks so young. It just doesn't seem fair on the same day I'm getting asked how old I am. She's getting carted for how young she is. I told her after that she's my trophy wife because you know, I'm an old guy with a young lady. Go figure. But the next time I was in there, Brittany was cutting my hair. Um, Brittany doesn't know she says, the only time I've been to church is when I was a baby. My grandparents took me to a Catholic church right there in Concord, get baptized so I can go to heaven. That's all she knew. 23-year-old. And, uh, and she, kept, she's kept, she kept having, she found out I was a pastor, so she's, she's having this ongoing conversation without hardly me saying anything about her journey. And well, you know, she says, oh, they wouldn't want me in church. Because uh, me and my, my guy have been together for like six years. We've got a little boy, and we want, but we want to bring him to church. Can we bring him to your church? She says, but I'm not bad. I'm not like everybody. You know, she, so she's having these conversations trying to talk her way into being okay to come to church. Our task is to call people to turn in repentance from their sin and say, Jesus is my sufficiency. We are all sick, and Jesus is the physician. And our everyday mission is in our circle of care, whether it's our barber, whether it's a book club, whether it's a garden club, whether, whether it's your mom's group or your, you know, the people you work with, is, is, is to identify people and pray that God would enable us to be missionaries to them. That we would immerse ourselves and learn what it means to be on this mission with these people. That we would be people who, um, in our everyday mission, have this ethic of mercy. That uh, we would be people who are constantly calling people to conversion, to, to convert from self-reliance and self-righteousness to, to reliance upon Christ and the righteousnesses in Christ. This brings me to a, a thought, and I just want to use this as sort of a thought, is we have missional communities, and uh, Drew, go to the next slide there. And uh, so we, we often abbreviate MC, and we were just evaluating our missional communities. We have 14 of them going. It's amazing. Uh, and two of them are in, like, senior apartment homes. My, my mother was 87 and crippled with osteoporosis, can hardly walk. She leads one with about seven women in the apartment, elderly apartment building she's in. It's an amazing thing that, that God's doing through her. She's, she, she almost checked out as saying, well, God can't use me. And, and then she started this on her own, and it's been, and it's been quite quite empowering. But I put up the abbreviations there because often um, our missional communities start with a small m on the mission and big on the community, and that's important. Eat a meal together and, uh, and all that. We actually have uh, one missional community that says, you know what, we're done doing the community stuff. There's five of them that said, we have five friends we're going to invite together on a regular basis. We're going to pray for them. We're going to invest time with them. We're going to go to strange places they like to go to. In fact, the whole group, the ten of them, went down to Foxwoods <laughs> There's a, one of the one of the wives, the Christian wives. She goes, I, I've never been in that place, you know. And, but because they were trying to identify with them, there they went. I kind of joked. I said, if you win anything, you've got to tithe it all. No, just <laughs> so they made mission over the community, and I'm convinced that 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 we are a community that thinks about the mission all the time and trying to balance those two things. 
as Francis Chan and that pastor in China, they talk through that and talk about everybody on mission. This leads me to the last thought. I want to put up one text which you're going to be very familiar with because this leads us to ending on the thought of church planting. My goal is to motivate you on mission. Whether or not you ever plant a church or not is the will of I, what does Jesus want in that? I think keep pushing for it, keep sacrificing people, keep praying about it. Drew Nichols was a member of our church. We gave you our very best. Actually, he was under church discipline. So no, just kidding. No. But, but, but whether or not you ever plant a church is, is unknown. But whether or not you're on mission is unquestionable. So this text then helps us think through the mission because it says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. So we have all the power we need in the Holy Spirit. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, which is where 95% of our efforts should be in our own Jerusalem. Your Jerusalem in the greater Manchester area. Our, our Jerusalem is the greater conquered area. You will be my witnesses in, in Jerusalem. And then Judea and Samaria to the, to the extended region. We call that New England. We put 10% of all of our receipts into church planting in New England. So some of that comes here. Some of that goes to a church uh, plant we're supporting up in the Plymouth area. We're supporting a church down in Wakefield, Mass. And then to the ends of the earth. So then we generate from, 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 um, from that 10%, 5% in New England actually, and 5% overseas the church planting. And then we actually urge our congregation to think above and beyond that, their regular giving to the church. We call it Global Initiative Giving, and we generate another, I don't know, twelve, fifteen thousand dollars $15,000 a year that we challenge people to give over and above their tithes to the local church to, to, to give to the global stuff to support the global mission as well. And I'm sharing all that to say is because we have an obligation to, to believe that Jesus is calling us to this. So while you are called to your Jerusalem, you need to be praying about how Jesus wants you to be supporting the, the ongoing mission, witness of Jesus to beyond Jerusalem, to to our Judea and Samaria, which I think pretty much for us fits New England, and then to the ends of the earth, whether that's Zambia or Guinea or West Virginia or beyond us, way beyond us, way beyond where we are. Does that all make sense? This, that, can I convince you? Did I convince you from Matthew chapter 9 that you and I are called to be everyday missionaries? Yeah. And to immerse ourselves in this learning of what does it mean to be in, the, in that circle of care that God has called us to. And that He desires us to love these people where they are. And that in doing so, our prayer is that, that, that God would give us, as Paul prayed, uh, and think about this. This is close with it. Paul said, when you pray for me, pray that God would give me open doors, the right words, and boldness. Now, when you think of Apostle Paul, you don't think of a guy who needs boldness or the right words or, or, or the open door. But if Paul prayed that, that's part of our prayers, that in our daily lives, God would give us open doors for, 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 for calling people to repentance and conversion. That he'd give us the right words and give us boldness. Because honestly, it takes boldness because we're challenging people with their existence. Your whole worldview. It, it takes boldness for all of us because we're calling people to deal with sin and a savior and faith and repentance. Let me pray. Lord, I, I, I love your church. I love this congregation. Lord Jesus, thank you for starting uh, 
and King's Cross and what you're going to do through it. Lord Jesus, I pray that my sisters and brothers in this room would sense your calling and your pleasure upon them as they embrace their mission. I pray, Lord Jesus, that you would give them open doors and the right words and that you would give them boldness. Lord, as we talk through uh, Matthew chapter 9, this, this verse, Lord, I, I pray that you would immerse them in learning what does it mean to be a missionary where they are and that you would give them great compassion and then, Lord, give them that message of calling people to repentance and convert and believe in Jesus as, as their, their Savior, their God, their King, their Redeemer. Lord, I pray that for me. I pray that for River of Grace. I pray that for the broader church. And Lord, I do pray that, that, that as we are faithful, you would enable this church to plant other churches in the region. Lord Jesus, open up doors um, for the gospel in, in communities, in villages, in urban neighborhoods. Lord Jesus, open up doors for the gospel, we pray. We trust you to use us who are but dust. In Christ's name, amen. Thank you for listening to this message from King's Cross Church in Manchester, New Hampshire. Please feel free to share or distribute this content, but do not charge for it or alter the content in any way without permission. King's Cross Church exists to treasure, proclaim, and grow in the gospel of Jesus Christ. To find out more about King's Cross Church, please visit us at kingscrossmanchester.com.